The True Spouse of Jesus Christ by St. Alphonsus Liguori Chapter 22 The Love for Jesus The sole object of a soul in this life should be to love her most amiable spouse, Jesus Christ. The first and principal command that the Lord imposes on us is to love him with our whole heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart. Because he loves us intensely, he wishes to be loved ardently by us. Hence, he so pressingly demands our love and calls for our heart. My son, give me thy heart. And what, says Moses, does the Lord demand of you, but that you love him with your whole heart? What doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but that, that thou love him, and serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart? To our love he promises himself as a reward. I am thy reward exceedingly great. To their faithful subjects the monarchs of this earth give riches and honors. But to those that love him, our God gives nothing less than himself. But though our love should receive no other reward for us, it should be enough to know that God loves those that love him. He frequently declares in the scriptures that he loves all who love him. I love them that love me. In another place he says, He that abideth in charity abideth in God, and God in him. And Jesus Christ has said, He that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him. All our perfection then consists in the love of God. For, as St. Augustine says, Love is the only virtue that unites us to God. All other virtues without charity profit us nothing. But charity brings with it all virtues, for as the Apostle teaches, It is patient, it is kind, it is not puffed up, it is not ambitious of honors, it seeks not its own interests, but suffers all things, believes all things, and hopes for all things. Love, says the same Apostle, is the fulfillment of the law. Hence St. Augustine said, Love, and do whatever you wish. He that loves another is careful not to give him the least displeasure, and studies to do everything in his power to please him. Hence, also the soul that loves God abhors as death the smallest offense against his divine majesty, and endeavors to the best of her ability to please him. Let it be remembered that perfect charity consists in loving God for himself. To love God as the author of our felicity is the love of concupiscence, which, strictly speaking, belongs not to charity, but to hope. To love God because he deserves to be loved, because he is infinite goodness, is the love of friendship or true charity. But it is necessary to observe that hope is in no way opposed nor any obstacle to perfect charity. In admitting a state of charity that excludes all hope, the Bishop of Cambry fell into the error which has now been condemned. We love God because, an account of his perfections, he deserves to be loved, and we would love him, though there were no reward for loving him. But since he wishes to give us a reward, and even commands us to hope for it, we are bound to hope for it and to desire it. Besides, to desire paradise in order to possess God and to love him better is true and perfect charity, for eternal glory is the consummation of love.
There the soul, entirely forgetful of herself and divested of all self-love, loves God with all her strength and with a most pure love. It is thus that the saints, in bliss, happily lose themselves in God. If we knew that in an earthly kingdom there was a prince, beautiful, holy, and learned, kind, and merciful, surely he would win our affection, though he had conferred no favor upon us. But what are the amiable qualities of such a prince compared with the perfections of God? God possesses all perfections and possesses them in an infinite degree. He has all the qualities that could render him amiable. He has infinite goodness, infinite beauty, infinite wisdom, and infinite mercy. Hence, his goodness of itself merits all our love. In the lives of the fathers of the desert, it is related that in the desert there were two monks who were brothers, and to one of them the devil said that the other was doomed to perdition. The simple monk believed the fiend and was greatly afflicted. Being asked one day the cause of his affliction, he answered that it was revealed to him that his brother was doomed to hell. The brother humbly answered, If such be the will of God, may it be forever blessed. But still I will love him to the utmost of my power in this life, for I love him neither through fear of hell nor through the hope of heaven, but only because he deserves to be loved. On the following night an angel appeared to the deluded monk and told him that his brother's name was written among the number of the elect. We should therefore love God because he deserves to be loved on account of his infinite perfections. We should love him at least through gratitude for the love that he has borne us. If the affections of all men and of all angels and of all the saints were united together, they would not equal the smallest part of the love that God bears to a single soul. St. John Chrysostom says that God loves us more than we love ourselves. I, says God himself, to each of us have loved you from eternity, and through pure love have drawn you out of nothing, and have placed you in this world. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Our parents have been the first to love us in this world, but they have loved us only after they had known us. But God loved us before we had existence. Our fathers, our mothers, were not yet born, and God loved us. The world would not yet be created, and God loved us. And how long before the creation of the world did he love us? Perhaps a thousand years, or a thousand ages? It is useless to multiply years and ages, for God loved us as long as he has been God. He has loved us as long as he has loved himself. Hence the Holy Virgin St. Agnes had reason to say, I am prevented by another lover. When the world and creatures sought her love, she answered, No, I cannot love you, since my God has been the first to love me. It is but just that I consecrate my whole heart to him only. Our God, then, has loved us long as he has been God, and through pure love has drawn us out of nothing, and among so many possible beings that he could but will never create, he has chosen us and has placed us in this world. For the love of us, he has also created so many other beautiful creatures, the heavens, the hills, the seas, the fountains, and of all other creatures that are on this earth. 
But he was not content with giving us these creatures. His love was not satisfied till he gave us himself. He hath loved us and delighted himself for us. From the ruin caused by sin, he took occasion to show his love. A cursed sin had robbed us of the divine grace and had closed paradise against us and made us the slaves of hell. The Lord could redeem us from these evils in many ways, but he chose to come in person on these on this earth in order to become man, to redeem us from eternal death, and to obtain for us the divine friendship and heaven which we had lost, exciting by such a prodigy of love the astonishment of heaven and creation. How great the wonder which an earthly monarch would excite were he, though love for a slave, to become a slave, for the sake of a worm to become a worm. But other wonder should be infinitely greater at the sight of a son of God, humble, so as to become man, for love of man. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and in habit found as man, at the sight of God clothed with flesh, and the word was made flesh. But the wonders increases when we see all that this Son of God has done and suffered for the love of us miserable worms. To save us it was enough for him to have given a single drop of his blood, to have shed a tear, or to have offered a prayer. For a tear or a prayer offered to the Eternal Father by a man-God, for our salvation, would have been of infinite value, and therefore sufficient to save the world, and an infinite number of worlds. But no, Jesus Christ wished not only to save us, but through the immense love that he bore us, he wishes to gain all our love. Hence, to make us understand the extent of his love, he chose a life of pain, of ignominy, a death that was most cruel and shameful of all deaths. He humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. O God, had our Saviour not been God, but an equal and a friend, what more could we do than give his life for us? Greater love than this no man hath, that a man lay down his life for us friends. What do they say? Do you believe it? Can you then think of loving any other object than Jesus Christ? A certain author says that before the incarnation of the word, man might be able to doubt whether God loved him with a tender love. But after the incarnation, the death of Jesus Christ, how is it possible to doubt it? How could he show us greater tenderness or affection than by suffering so many torments, so many insults, and by dying on a cross? Alas, we have heard of the incarnation of the Redeemer, a God born in a stable, of a God scourged, of a God crowned with thorns and dying on a cross. O holy faith, enlighten us, and make us understand the excess of love which made our God become man and die for us. But the desire of Jesus Christ had to suffer and die for us should be a subject of still greater astonishment. During his life our Savior used to say, I have a baptism wherewith I am to be baptized, and how am I straightened until it be accomplished? I am to be baptized with the baptism of my own blood, not to wash myself, but to cleanse men from their sins, and how am I straightened until my desire be accomplished? O oh God, 
Jesus Christ is not loved by man, because they will not even think of the love that the amiable Redeemer has borne them. How is it possible for a soul that thinks on his love to live without loving him? The charity of Christ presseth us. St. Paul says that a soul that reflects on the love of Jesus Christ feels himself, as it were, constrained to love him. In meditating on the passion of the Savior, the saints were inflamed with love and sometimes broke out into exclamations of wonder and tenderness. We have seen, exclaimed St. Lawrence Justinian, the author of wisdom become foolish through excess of love. We have seen God, as it were, foolish through love for us. St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, being one day wrapped in an ecstasy, took an image of Jesus crucified into her hands and cried aloud, that he was foolish through love. Yes, my Jesus, she continued to exclaim, thou art foolish through love. I say that I will always say, my Jesus, thou art foolish through love. Had not faith assured us of this great mystery of redemption, who could ever believe that the creator of the universe should voluntarily suffer and die for his own creatures? O oh God, if Jesus Christ had not died for us, who among men would dare to use a God to become man and save us by his death? Would it not have appeared folly even to think of it? And in reality, when the Gentiles heard the apostles preaching the death of Jesus Christ, they regarded it as a fable, and as St. Paul attests, called it incredible folly. We preach Jesus crucified unto the Jews, indeed a stumbling block, and unto the Gentiles foolishness. Says St. Gregory, It appears then folly that the author of life should die for man. How, said the Gentiles, can we believe that a God who has need of no one and is most happy in himself should descend from heaven to earth, assume human flesh, and die for man? Is his miserable creatures? This would be to believe that a God had become foolish for the love of men. But it is truth of faith that Jesus, the true Son of God, for the love of us, his miserable and ungrateful creatures, has abandoned himself to torments, to ignominities, and to death. He hath loved us, and hath delivered himself for us. And why hath he done so? I have, he says, come on earth to kindle the fire of divine love, and only desire to see the hearts of men burning with its blessed flames. In contemplating Jesus in the garden, captured as a criminal by the soldiers, St. Bernard, turning to his Lord, exclaimed, My Jesus, what hast thou to do with cords and chains? These belong to us slaves and sinners, but thou art king of heaven, thou art holy. And what has affected all this? Love, which is regardless of dignity, when there is a question of gaining the affection of the beloved. In word concludes the saint, God, whom no one can conquer, has been conquered by love. His love for man has made him take human flesh and consume his divine life in a sea of sorrows and reproaches. Love triumphs over God. In another place, the same St. Bernard contemplates our Redeemer condemned to death by Pilate and asks of Jesus Christ, Tell me, O my beloved Lord, who art innocence itself, what evil hast thou done to merit the barbarous sentence of condemnation to the death of the cross? 
But adds the saint, I understand the cause of thy death. The crime thou hast committed is thy love. Thy offense is the love thou hast borne to men. It is this, and not Pilate, that condemns thee to death, and makes thee die. But, O Lord, exclaims holy Job, what is man, that thou shouldest magnify him? Or why dost thou set thy heart upon him? My God, what is man whom thou hast so highly honored? What benefit has he ever conferred upon thee, that thy whole heart should, as it were, be occupied in seeking his welfare, and endeavoring to make known to him the affection thou dost bear him? St. Thomas says that God loved man, as if man were his God, as if without him he could not be happy as if God could not be happy unless man were also happy. And, dear sister, had you been the God of Jesus Christ, what more could he have done for you than spend so many years in pain and toils, and afterwards submit to a cruel death? Had Jesus Christ to save the life of his own Father, what more could he have done than he has done for you? But, O oh God, where is your gratitude? Had one of your servants suffered what your spouse has endured for your salvation, could you ever forget his sufferings or live without loving him? Ah, at the thought of death, Jesus Christ, each of us, should be, as it were, foolish through love of him, and should exclaim with St. Paschal, My love has been crucified for me, my love has died for him. But what we have not as yet done, we may now do. God gives us time to do it. Jesus has died for us, that by his love for us he might gain the entire domination of our hearts. To this end, says St. Paul, Christ died that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. He has died that we might live no longer to ourselves, but only to that God who has given his life for us. Christ died for all, says the same apostle, that they also who live may not now live to themselves, but unto him who died for them. Contemplating the death of Jesus Christ and the love with which he died for men, the saints esteemed it little to forfeit for his sake property, honors, and life. How many grandees, how many kings and queens and empresses have renounced their kingdoms and shut themselves up in cloisters and live only for the love of Jesus Christ! How many millions of martyrs have esteemed themselves happy to be able to sacrifice their lives for him amid the most horrible torments? How many young and noble virgins, renouncing the nuptials of first monarchs of the earth, have gone with joy to death to make some return of love for the love of God, who had died for love of them? And do you, dear sister, Think that you have as yet done anything for the love of Jesus Christ? What proof or token have you as yet given to the love that you bear him? It is certain that as he died for the saints, for St. Lucy, St. Agatha, for St. Agnes, so he has also died for you. Consider also the special graces that he has bestowed on you, and that he has withheld from so many of your companions who had as good a claim to them as you had. How many noble ladies, 
how many princesses have been born among infidels and heretics and have miserably in the state of perdition bereft of the sacraments of sermons and of other helps necessary for salvation and to you he has given the grace to be born in the bosom of the true church he has also given wealth to your parents and you might have more opportunities and means of acquiring eternal salvation he has also chosen you for his spouse for among so many of your companions whom he has left in the midst of the dangers of the world from these dangers he has rescued you and perhaps against your inclinations and has brought you into his own house where he assists you continually by his lights and interior calls by the sacraments by sermons by the example of your good sisters and by so many other helps to salvation consider also the many mercies he has shown you in pardoning so many offences and you have committed in this world and in religion it was enough for him that you repent and ask forgiveness he instantly pardoned you and he with the same love pardoned you and instead of afflicting chastisements on your multiple offences he has multiplied graces lights calls and consultation and consolations and behold at this moment while you read this book he continues to call you to his love what are your thoughts what resolutions do you make what do you wait for perhaps you intend to wait till the lord calls you no more and abandons you